Law and Self-Defense content you are about to enjoy is presented for general educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice. If you are in need of legal advice, consult competent legal counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Welcome to our ongoing coverage of the Minnesota murder trial of Derek Chauvin over the in-custody death of George Floyd. I'm attorney Andrew Branker for Law and Self-Defense, providing guest commentary and analysis of this trial for legal insurrection. As a reminder, I am live parlouring the trial in real time over at my parlor account, which you can find using my parlor handle at Law of Self Defense. That would be at parlor.com. This morning's proceedings began prior to the start of the voir dire, the jury selection process, with some ongoing discussion over motions in limine, as well as the defense raising substantial concerns about the impact on defendant Chauvin's right to a fair trial of the announcement last Friday that the Minneapolis City Council had voted unanimously to settle the Floyd's civil claim against the city for the sum of $27 million. With respect to the in limine motions, these are pretrial arguments to determine what evidence will be allowed or prohibited from the actual trial in front of the jurors and should best be thought of as the efforts of each side to define the legal battlefield in their own favor before the trial starts. As before, we're going to leave the details of the in limine debates out of these daily jury selection posts simply in the interest of time. We will note that today's discussion centered largely around what kind of expert testimony would be permitted with respect to George Floyd's state of mind. The prosecution, for example, wants to be able to introduce expert testimony that Floyd was in reasonable apprehension, was genuinely claustrophobic, and had a reasonable basis for resisting the officer's attempts to arrest him. This will be important to the arguments, the prosecution's argument's central burden of having to argue in turn that the officer's use of force upon Floyd was unreasonable under the circumstances a key to making the officer's conduct unlawful. Now, nothing firm was decided by the judge on these motions as he once again essentially deferred final decisions until he was looking at actual evidence being offered in the trial proper. As mentioned, also raised this morning was the defense arguments, uh, concerns rather, over the impact of Friday's announcement of the $27 million settlement of the city of Minneapolis with the Floyd family. Such a settlement will to lay people suggest that the city must be acknowledging wrongful conduct, and by extension that Chauvin must have acted wrongfully in Floyd's death. This impression is likely to be formed among both seated and prospective jurors, even if they make a genuine effort to avoid news on the case, because the blaring headlines alone would be sufficient to notify them of this settlement. The defense suggested a number of moves by the court that might mitigate the effects of this news and the damage it causes to Chauvin's prospects for a fair trial, including proposing again a change of venue, proposing again a continuance or delay in the trial, proposing that the defense receive extra peremptory challenges, that the seated jurors be called back to voir dire for questioning about how the settlement news might affect their partiality or impartiality and more. Judge Cahill rejected the request for more strikes, arguing that if the news really made it impossible for any juror to be impartial, then the proper resolution was to remove the juror for cause, not by using a peremptory strike. With the defense's other proposed remedies, Judge Cahill effectively took them all under advisement, meaning he'd think about them. 
And with that, let's jump into what happened this morning in voir dire as the court moved through another five prospective jurors. In a nutshell, two more jurors, number 52 and number 55, now the eighth and ninth in this case, were chosen. More on them in a moment. Interestingly, every one of the other three prospective jurors, number 51, 54, and 56, were dismissed for cause without even being subject to questioning by the lawyers because they told Judge Cahill up front they did not believe they could be fair and impartial on this case. One of these, number 51, explicitly cited Friday's $27 million settlement by the city as having pushed her over the edge towards not being able to be fair and impartial to this defendant, demonstrating in dramatic fashion that the settlement had indeed negatively impacted the jury pool. Neither the state nor the defense was obliged to use any peremptory challenges this morning, so the state retains four peremptory challenges and the defense retains seven peremptory challenges. Let's turn now to some more detailed coverage of the two jurors who were seated this morning, starting with juror number 52, who presented as a youngish male. Uh, Obviously, the jurors are not being shown on camera, but if I had to speculate based on the audio, I would guess that number 52 was black. Juror number 52 was described as working in the banking industry in a customer-focused job and separately being engaged in coaching children's sports. There was nothing much remarkable about the voir dire of number 52. He professed he'd be willing um, to be fair and impartial to both sides, judge the case only on the evidence and law presented in court, even if he thought the law was wrong or should be changed, and that he could provide the defendant with a fair and impartial hearing. Interestingly, number 52 had written on his juror questionnaire that he didn't believe anyone intended for Floyd to die that day, but nevertheless, the fact that Floyd did die suggested that something ought to be changed moving forward. He also recognized that there could be a thought process on the part of the officers that made their conduct reasonable despite the negative outcome. This juror also wrote in his questionnaire that he wondered why the other officers involved had not intervened. When pressed by the defense to explore whether this meant he assumed Chauvin had acted wrongfully, number 52 indicated not necessarily so. He compared it to if he, juror number 52, were driving somewhat thoughtlessly and a passenger prompted him to pay more attention. Someone can intervene even if what they are correcting is not done with malice. The juror also noted in his questionnaire that he'd been arrested once himself for having a bad license, but that the officers involved had treated him professionally. He also somewhat agreed that the officers in his community made him feel safe. The defense also asked if the juror would be able to arrive at a not guilty verdict, knowing that he'd have to explain his decision to the kids he coached in sports, and he said he would. The defense passed for cause, meaning that number 52 was acceptable to the defense as a juror. Handed over to Prosecutor Schleider, number 52 was asked if he knew anyone who struggled with illegal drugs and if he would think less of someone engaged in such a struggle. He indicated he did know people in that circumstance and did not think any less of them. The prosecution also explored number 52's statement that he didn't believe anyone intended for Floyd to die and noted that intent would be a disputed issue in this case. Would number 52 be able to set aside his existing opinion about a lack of intent and hear the state's arguments with fairness and impartiality, and he indicated that he would. And with that, the prosecution passed for cause, and number 52 became the eighth juror seated on this case. We've taken the voir dire of juror number 52 and embedded that in the text version of today's content for those who'd like to listen in more detail. Now, juror number 55, the 
second juror seated today, the ninth in this case, is a female single mother uh, with high school and older age children. She works as an administrative assistant in the healthcare business. She lives outside of the city of Minneapolis, but her job is in the city. She indicated she's been exposed to little information on the case by design. She's been avoiding it and that she'd only seen a small portion of the video of Floyd's death also by design because she found the video disturbing. She also expressed some safety concerns depending on the verdict, which obviously would be of concern to the defense. Nevertheless, she said she felt the security steps taken by the court, particularly to keep jurors anonymous until sometime after the trial, mitigated her safety concerns. With respect to Chauvin, she indicated she'd formed a somewhat negative impression of him and believed that the matter could have been handled differently. She acknowledged, however, that she had not been presented with all the facts as she expected to have happened during the trial. She also indicated that she would be able to apply the presumption of innocence to his defense. Asked about her view of Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter, number 55 asserted her view that all lives matter, and indeed she had underlined this view in her questionnaire response. With that, the defense passed for cause, meaning that juror number 55 was acceptable to the defense as a juror. The prosecution asked number 55 about riots that had been near her home, and she indicated that she'd simply stayed home and not had suffered any property damage herself, nor did her neighbors. She also spoke with the prosecution about a time last summer when she had seen what she perceived as an unnecessary aggressive police response to a young man in a park. It seemed no force was actually used, but four or five officers had responded, which she thought excessive. Although she acknowledged that this occurred after the Floyd death and protests and that perhaps the police were exceptionally concerned for safety, she described the young man involved in the event as white. Interestingly, when the prosecution asked more closely about her views of Blue Lives Matter, number 55 expressed Interestingly, when the prosecution asked more closely about her views of Blue Lives Matter, number 55 expressed surprise upon learning that the blue referred to the police. She said she thought it simply referred to the other side of the Black Lives Matter message, meaning everybody else. The prosecution also had 55 acknowledge that she wouldn't assign police testimony at trial as inherently possessing greater credibility because of their job than testimony provided by non-officers. And with that, the prosecution also passed on cause, meaning that juror number 55 was acceptable to the prosecution. So number 55 became the ninth juror seated on this case. And again, the voir dire of juror number 55 is embedded in the text version of today's content. With nine jurors now having been seated, a remaining five are required. We need a total of 12 jurors and two alternates. With voir dire continuing this afternoon and throughout the week is necessary to fill those 14 slots. The trial proper is scheduled to begin on March 29th. Okay, folks, that's all I have for you this morning. Uh, we will follow up with an end-of-day post today as well. Until then, I'm attorney Andrew Branker for Law of Self-Defense, guest commenting for Legal Insurrection. Stay safe.